show, we've got fantasy, satire, mystery and literary fiction to whet your bloated and jaded post-Christmas reading appetites day. And of course, we've got the transcendent genius room of whom Oscar Wilde might have said, but did. I have nothing to declare except the genius room. But most importantly, we've got two insanely great guests on today's show. Please meet the boss of Britain's most lauded publisher. Yeah, it's Nicholas Cheatham from Head of Zeus. Ably accompanied by avid reader and Olympian Litopian. That's Dean Baxter. Enough said. Let's cut to the action. And here we are, our very first submission of the day, second show of the year. It's called On the Run, it's from Paul, and this is how Paul describes the genre. It is. He says, sits in between literary fiction and reading group fiction. All right, okay. I'm not sure that's a genre, is it? It's more like a market. Anyway, this is Paul's blurb. The novel begins, he says, in December 1968 as Samantha flees England for France while crossing the channel she throws her husband's passport into the sea, watching it disappear underneath the black-blue water. Let me tell you about Paul. It's short and sweet. Paul says, I currently work at the university. On the Run by Paul Stanley, read by Beth. Chapter 1, late December 1968. Sam tilted the driver's seat back. It was 6.30am and she had just reached the port of Dover. According to the sign, the next ferry to France wouldn't be for another hour. She needed to rest but couldn't sleep. She tried to tune the radio to Luxembourg but found only static. Someone had once told her that the white noise on untuned radios and TVs came from distant stars. She left it on, its crackle mixing with the rain drumming on the roof. She poured the last of the hot, sweet tea from her thermos, the taste of the plastic cup mixed with the stewed tea as she sipped. Sam closed her eyes. It felt like no time had passed at all when she woke with a start. Someone was banging on the window. Miss! She looked up. The man wore the uniform of the Port Authority. His well-trimmed, bushy moustache suggested he was former military. The ferry is loading. He pointed in the direction of the large rectangular white ship. It creaked and clanked in the gloom. She could see the first cars entering, seemingly disappearing from this world. Can I see your passport and ticket? She smiled weakly. Her heart raced as she reached for the two tickets and two passports. Winding down the window, she handed them to him. My husband is in the little boy's room. She watched his face closely as he scribbled down names and passport numbers on a piece of paper with a stubby pencil, struggled to get purchase on the wet paper. There didn't seem to be any doubt, just a desire to be out of the rain. Without a word, he handed them back to her. She sat still, waiting for something to happen. Then he stood back. She started rolling up the window and thanked him driving past a long line of lorries. Some of their drivers were standing outside nursing cigarettes against the bad weather. They silently watched her as she went past. 
Once she was inside, the relief was palpable. Despite the cold rain, she decided to brave the deck. She stood uneasily on the metal floor, her mac wrapped tightly around her. From below, she heard the loud clanks of the anchor chain being pulled in, the shouts of the crew echo and distorted, disappearing into the noise of the machine. Then the boat shuddered, nearly knocking her over. The engine roared into life and then they were moving. She looked up at the cliffs of Dover, their white chalk faces still visible through the rain and sleet. She stood there for maybe twenty minutes, wondering if she'd ever see England again. She reached into her bag and pulled out the other passport. She walked over to the side, careful to ensure she wasn't being watched. Leaning against the railing, she let it slip from her fingers, wanting to be able to claim it was an accident if someone was watching. She watched it swirl in the wind like some strange, sad bird, before disappearing into dark water. Then she turned and went back inside, to the warmth. Over the tannoy, a recorded message went through the safety precautions, first in English and then in French. Her schoolgirl French was good enough that she could pick out individual words, but not grasp the whole meaning. Like listening to and hearing a tune you recognise, but can't put a name to. Sam found a table near the front, folding her mac neatly and placing it over the back of one of the free seats. At this time in the morning, so soon after Christmas, there were plenty of free places. She was able to get a good view out of the window, looking out at the vast expanse of blue, both sea and rain. Idly, she stirred a plastic spoon in her polystyrene cup of tea. She took one sip and decided she couldn't manage any more. She was tired, too tired. All the caffeine did was jangle her nerves. She would find a room somewhere as soon as she was in Calais. And thank you very much indeed, Bev, for that. Uh, starting the show with a rousing reading there. Shall we see what the Genius Stream is up to? Um, lots of good comments already. Um, Carol says, blurb's too vague. Um, what's the deal with the husband? Why flee you to France? And Matt says, we'll meet our characters doing really boring stuff. Uh, Ellie says, lots of lines starting with she. Um, and Johnny says, yeah, going on the ferry, not very gripping. And Vagabond, our reader, uh, says, have no idea what kind of story this is going to be. And James says, no emotion, not invested. Carol, our heart is racing, but smile is, quote, weak. I'm not sure what that means. Um, Pamela Jo says, I know what she means, but nursing piggies. I don't think that was there. Oh, Siggies. Yes, Siggies. Right. OK. Uh, and Matt uh, carries on and says, maybe going in the ferry, but not signing a passport control or trying to find a radio station. Um, Claire says, there's some nice writing here. Ali says, like the writing, but feel we're focusing on some unimportant stuff slightly down. And Matt comments on uh, Bev's reading. Um, Pamela says, yeah, good reading is right. It has got sk skills, but not so good. She gets to have fun learning story skills and Johnny says I'm distorting it's not unusual I do a lot let's uh, let's get a completely undistorted opinion shall we from Nicholas um, well um, on the run title gets points um, I think for um, being typographically perfect for a cover design 
Mm. Um, basically, uh, no title should ever really have any uh, be more than seven letters long because otherwise it just doesn't fit on the shape of a book. Um, and so 233 um, works quite nicely. But, you know, it's a bit... It's a bit boring, isn't it, in a way? Mm. I mean, particularly because, you know, we get straight to the point of this woman being on the run. So maybe something a bit more imaginative, but full marks for um, uh, giving the, uh, the the cover designer an easy job. Um, we, I think, would probably call this, um, in, in publishing at the moment, it goes this kind of area, genre, market. Um, it's kind of known as uplit at the moment. Um, mm. It's pretty sort of fertile sort of ground to be in. Um, I thought I liked the blurb. Usually blurbs are overly long and complex and tell you yeah. a bit too much. This was actually just quite simple and actually just left you hanging. And, you know, so after that last line, why is she dropping this passport into the sea? You can guess lots of reasons. But, you know, it uh, it kind of got me in the mood to, to find out more. I can't pretend that it told me really anything about the story, but coupled with the title, it kind of gave you uh, an indication of where you were going. My first thought in the first paragraph was, this is really great, um, because, you know, I've experienced that exact same thing. You know, when you get to Dover quicker than um, you thought Operation Stack might allow you to get there, <laughs> and it's early in the morning, and the ferry's not there, and you just park your car up, and you basically sort of, you, you have a snooze, and it's that strange sort of interstitial feeling of, you know, mm. of going but still being within your car. So I thought that was quite interesting. I thought the writing was 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 pretty was pretty decent. I really liked the lack of exposition. A lot of writers come on this show um, and you know their first few pages basically give you the entire backstory of everything that their character's ever done, ever thought about, where they're from. Um, and it just gets in the way of things happening. But that's I think where we have a problem because not much happens here. Um, uh, I was slightly concerned about the lack of security, but it's 1968. Um, I know oh, that. Right. Uh, oh. uh, you know, like the husband, you know, like what, what Lou has he gone to? You know, um, she's just about to get onto the, uh, the ferry. She's driving off without him. Wouldn't he say, where's your husband? Uh, she's got her husband's passport. Um, so... Uh, you know, I, I, there were light elements of the detail. Uh, others, just a few questions. And it kind of... Yeah, I think we threw away the most dramatic moment, which is getting rid of the passport. Yes. Um, I think, you know, she stood there for 20 minutes, is the phrase, and then she throws away the passport. Mm. You need to build up those 20 minutes. You need yeah. to see your character going through some kind of, you know, recollection, worry, fear, you know, what planning to do something meticulously, perhaps you could talk mm. your way through it. But, you know, stood there for 20 minutes, and then she chucks it off the side. Um, yeah. I think... That that that's a that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, it's nicely strange that that one incident. It, it is definitely an inciting incident. Isn't it? It's a bit like sort of Camus or something like that. It's sort of existential. You, gotta, you know, it's also mundane and normal, and suddenly she does that. I yeah. find that also, there is something. You know, I, I like the clanking of the ferry. You know, the great engines beginning to sort of um, uh, you know to, to to throb and the thing moving yeah. off. But you know, I, I think much more could have been made of that, and that yeah. is where you need to get the claustrophobic. You know, yeah. the kind of you know the the atmosphere in towards this act of getting rid of the passport yeah yeah totally um i wonder actually dean if um this is picture interest you know, would you think you'd read on or you just think oh, i don't know it's a, it's a bit dull perhaps I'm, I'm i'm sort of on the fence at the minute um you know i'm, I'm kind of i'm going to agree with think really um to start to go back to the start with the title on the run um it's quite interesting what Nick was saying about how it would fit nicely on the on the cover that's that's something i didn't think about but it's a bit generic isn't it and um yeah 
to me, it's a title. He does what it says on the tin, and I kind of like those kind of books, you know, those kind of on-the-run thrillers. So it, that, it's good that it tells me that that's what you're getting, but is a, is a publisher or an agent, they're probably going to see that as a lack of imagination, and they're probably not even going to look any further than that title, I would assume. Um, but... As I have said, the writing itself I thought was actually very good. Um, there were some nice bits in there. Um, but again, you know, I mean, I, one thing I would commend her for, again, as Nick said, um, the lack of exposition, I think she walked the line perfectly between description and story. You know, we, we didn't get too bogged down in anything. It was moving on nicely. But we, having said that, we, we're still not really getting to anything. And there was a line that, that stood out to me when she said that... Um, she was sitting there still waiting for something to happen. And that was kind of how I felt at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so, and, and again, you know, as Nick was saying, the whole, what, what the, the whole thing in this scene, the inciting instinct is throwing away that passport and we need to make more of that. And it, it I mean, it's the last thing you, you, you know, you, when you're in, in, in that sort of situation, you cling on, like I do, <laughs> extrapolating wildly here, I cling on to documents like that, you know, like dear life. Oh, yeah, I'm uh, always doing this, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> oh, that's what Harry does too. But if, yeah. if, like, but if you imagine um, if this was a scene in a movie, this would be where the, where the drum would start, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of, exactly. And it's and we're in yeah. so she's looking to the left, looking to the right. Um, you know, she's going over to the balcony. She's holding totally. it. it we, we, we want that kind of. We yeah. want this scene yeah. to build to the point yeah, where absolutely. she throws the basket. That's what we do. Yeah. And again, we don't just want to throw away line. You know, that, that thing, I think it was, you know, I say she stood there for 20 minutes, then she threw it in the water. And it's like, oh, yeah. okay. That's, that's good all right i think we are of a mind i think the genii and uh, our wonderful guests uh, this week are of a mind so let's just see how the numbers are looking for you paul am i looking at a solid respectable 55 we like you inside the instant but we so i think you could have compressed that a lot more actually i think you've got, got a lot more in your, your 700 words that's a very very nice start to the show to speak to Nicholas Cheatham straight away about the uh, the news that no one expected that Prince Harry's memoirs shot straight to the top of the charts I'm sorry to talk to you about this but everyone wants to know about it um, so it's it's an instant bestseller I've got lots and lots of questions but let's just um, let me ask you one or two actually Jeannie I anyone on YouTube if you, you want to ask one of Britain's leading publishers any questions about this whole extraordinary operation now please fire away um, I just want to ask a general question, actually, Nicholas. Um, when something like this happens, a huge book sells hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of, of copies, um, immediately on publication, is there a general sort of uplift to other books? I mean, do people you know, go in their flocks to waterstones and bookstores, and while they're there, they buy another book or two? Um, it'd be nice if that happened, but I don't think it does. Mm. Um, I think the success of selling a book like this is you're selling an awful lot of copies, you know, to to, to people who don't habitually buy books, you know, and they might yeah. buy, you know, one book a year. Um, yeah. And this actually is that book. And I think that market trends recently have been, it has been ever, ever more winner takes all. Hmm. Uh, the mid list is um, uh, those books, you know, which used to sell, but, you know, maybe 10,000 or something like that. Hmm. You know, it doesn't really now you know you've yeah. still got people at the top of the charts you know selling hundreds of thousands every single week yeah. um, or even millions um, uh, but you go down that top 10 chart 
you know, uh, and the numbers, and the numbers drop just off fall away incredibly quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, this, you know, it, you either sell a lot or you really don't sell very many at all. Yeah. So, just can we just go look at the numbers? Because th- those are the things that everyone wants to know about. Basically, as far as the numbers concerned, I've seen lots of things quoted. I mean, this is apparently was a four book deal, and I, I am scratching my head thinking. What are they going to fill the other three books with? But I guess you can always come up with something. And um, the publishers... They once did, famously, Wayne Rooney signed a five-book deal with a publisher. I didn't you know. know. And so they were really kind of, you know, thinking, Wayne, with his recipes, wisdom, wisdom. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. And, of course, the money, what everyone is sort of still goggling about, um, reported 29 million quid, maybe 35 million dollars, something like that. Um, I've seen it quoted in, in the Telegraph: "All proceeds going to charity." And I do rather raise half an eyebrow at that. One wonders exactly which charity. And you know, well, I haven't heard any more about that. But just on the economics, 29 million pounds. I mean, is, is the publisher mm-hmm. going to do all right out of that? Um, well, if you assume that um, on each hardback you sell, you might make you know approximately two pounds worth of uh, two pounds worth of royalties. Um, uh, we've not done badly, you know, in the first week. Um, uh, uh, on top of that, there will be, um, I guess, I mean, there, there will be other rights deals um, around the outside. Yeah. Presumably, it's being published pretty okay. much. Everywhere. I think. I think they're definitely they're going to make a fortune it's a good and let's face it, you know you don't need to earn back you know all the advance to actually um, yeah. to, to, to have a profitable project i mean particularly when you're talking about the numbers that they're selling yeah yeah and a so final question out, um, final. Uh, you, it can be an incredibly profitable um operation for a publisher yeah yeah so fi- final question on, on this and i'm sure we're going to come back actually if you're on youtube at the moment you want to ask nicholas a question just bang it into the the chat there and we'll pick it up um but do you think that um they've successfully managed to keep this secret for so long in in any in any ways that you're familiar with them how would a publisher generally try to protect a manuscript like this from leaking Gosh, well, I mean, I, I've never been in a situation, you know, where we've we've had a, a, a property of such hotness that everyone is trying to trying to get hold of it. I mean, yeah. um, uh, obviously, um, uh, uh, Bloomsbury, um, who now own head of Zeus, you know, sort of would do because they had huge security around, um, you know, the Harry Potter books, um, uh, you know, and it's you know sections off areas of of um, uh, yes. of. of of, of warehouses, yeah. you know, it's special um, security firms, you know, sort of hired, you know, sort of with snipers and everything. Yes, armed guards, yes. <laughs> you know, guards, you know to, to, to patrol those premises. Um, uh, it's being incredibly careful, you know, with the, yeah. um, uh, with, the with any sort of uh, copies that you want to show to anyone, you know, sort of yeah. beforehand, if you show anyone anything at all. Yeah, um, yeah. Of course, you know, you, you then have to ask a question, you know, when you do get a leak, you know, is it a leak or is it just part of the PR campaign? Exactly. I think there have been a few of those in, in recent days, actually. But they did extremely well, I think, to, to keep it under wraps for, for such a long time. Uh, lots more questions to, to ask Nicholas Jutin from Head of Zeus in the moment, but let's have a look at our second question. <laughs> Here 
here we are. Submission number two, and it comes from Marcel. What a lovely name that is. QR code there too, so that means Marcel's got a website that you can go to. If you scan that, go there. Come on, be adventurous. Give it a go. And this is The Crossroad Bones. The Crossroad Bones. Do you like that title? The Crossroad Bones. I quite like it. Mystery with supernatural overtones, that's the genre. This is Marcel's blurb. The Crossroad Bones is an 88,000-word mystery novel, which is a supernatural crossover like Behind Her Eyes by Sarah Pinbrook. It's intelligently written. Oh, thank heavens, I love those intelligent books. Original and deals with the difficult topics in an accessible way. The inciting incident describes something that actually happened to me. In 2011, I accidentally ran myself over with my car. How awful. That must have been just dreadful. The manuscript has been completely revised under the mentorship. This is not really the blurb, is it? Anyway, the manuscript has been completely revised under the mentorship of best-selling crime author Sophie Hanna and has already attracted potential TV interest. All right, well, that's, that's an overrise, really. Um, not the blurb. Let me tell everybody about you, Marcel. Um, I'm a British writer based in Germany since 92. I've been a film journalist specialising in the horror genre and have written hundreds of articles for academic books and magazines on the genre. I'm the author of three non-fiction books on sexuality, the short story anthology Bear Souls, and my debut thriller Night Driver was published by Urbane Publications in 2018. As someone fascinated by medical history, cutting-edge science and gruesome facts. I tend to craft suspenseful stories with a touch of gothic. What's not to like? Taking all my boxes. Uh, the Crossroad Bones examines the genetic consequences of being exposed to a traumatic event and draws on work done on the grandchildren of Holocaust victims. It was fact-checked by Dr Joanne Voisey, an epigenetic expert. Very interesting subject, epigenetic. How our environment affects our, our, our genes, I think, the expression of our genes. I'm not an expert, of course, but I, that's my understanding of it. But someone who is an expert, an expert reader, is our Emily. The Crossroad Bones by Marcel, read by Emily. Three whole days had passed since my son's birthday party, but the migraine it had created hovered like a military helicopter in combat. Every time the sun came out, it activated a weird pain behind my eyes. Admittedly, for Luke's fifth birthday party, I'd allowed him to invite too many kids, an unlucky thirteen. He was friends with triplet girls and couldn't ask Megan and not John. I'd wanted no more than ten, but my five-year-old son had overruled me. It was a sultry afternoon in July. The kids ran everywhere and the expensive bouncy castle that was supposed to occupy them heated up like a slow oven until the kids shrieked if any bare flesh touched the rubber. I was only running. Kids were all over the place. When I ignored the shouts of one group for a minute, Carly fell onto Hillary. On the other side of the garden, another child started crying. A wasp landed in the punch. Someone stepped on a balloon and screamed at the sound. You couldn't take your eyes off them for a second. Ten minutes before the end, little Tommy Pascal, still only three years old, vanished wearing only a Thomas the Tank engine trunks. Then his mother Kathleen, who I'd never liked anyway, turned up and found Tommy's shoes lying in the grass. Her son was two years younger and had been whiny the whole time. I couldn't wait to see the back of him. But now his mum was here, of course, he was nowhere to be seen. Where's Tommy, Susan? she asked aggressively. My mouth went completely dry. I like to control all aspects of my life, 
so it was annoying for me I couldn't locate him. But I hadn't done anything untoward. Kathleen clutched Tommy's blue denim shoes desperately in her hands, as if pressing them intently might bring him back. Although she was nominally pretty, as one of the younger mothers, her face had gotten impossibly oily. She was dissolving in the heat. I kept running off to check rooms, but he could have gotten anywhere. It would take about fifty minutes to check the whole area thoroughly. I ran myself monstrously out of breath. Everyone else milled around getting in the way until I wanted to hit them all with a baseball bat. All I have is him. I'm a single mother, said Kathleen, and she began to wail. Tommy had his first sleepover yesterday. He was up all night, said Kathleen. Her wide eyes looked at me as if this was my fault too. I grimaced. She should have mentioned this right at the beginning. The police had just pulled up in the street when I found Tommy in the very last place I had to check. He was on the terrace enclosed in our little beach hut where everyone had been when he had disappeared, a place so obvious nobody had thought to look. He must have slipped under the cover, which was zipped up to keep ice cream stains off the good seats. When I opened it, his eyes would shut tight. When the sunlight fell on his secret place, he let out a gasp. I leaned over the railing and shouted to his mother, crying uselessly in the street. The group of parents and kids let out a shout of joy, picked him up and ran him over to his mother, still just in his swim pants. False alarm. The police gave out little stickers to the kids. Everyone else seemed to effortlessly shepherd their kids with smiles. No idea how they did it. I wanted everyone to leave, but it took ages for the last stragglers to disperse. They couldn't stop talking, everybody smiling except me. By the time they'd left, my headache had become a foreign object. I could feel my blood pumping determinedly through my veins. Not until days later, when I was lying in a hospital bed, horribly injured, would I be able to calm down. And that was most likely the morphine. If only we'd known how tired Tommy was. Maybe I wouldn't have had to die because of it. Thank you very much, Emily. I could listen all day to Emily reading a telephone book or something like that. I wouldn't care really what it is. Uh, straight to the genius room, I think. Oh, Pamela Jo says, apropos of our recent discussion with Nicholas about um, Harry's book, Spare. We didn't talk about the title, actually. Maybe we will in a moment. Uh, Pamela says, I think the rest of the books on the series, of course, at least uh, three more books, I think. We, words, uh, words of wisdom, she says, eat, pray, disinherit. Um, yeah, maybe. So... Did they protect Harry Potter with three-headed dogs, says Matt? I think they did. We'll have to ask, ask Nicholas that in a minute. Um, Annie, coming on to uh, your submission, Marcel. Um, Annie says, really likes this title. Yeah. LA, uh, LA and Hannah and a number of other people are not keen on your blurb. I think it's fair to say that. And the best thing for you to do at the moment, Marcel, is just to, uh, on the recording, press freeze frame, read everything everybody says on that, because it's, it's all good advice. Um, actually, LA says, I, I literally think we should start rejecting submissions with non-blurbs. Well, I don't think we're going to do that, but we are going to give uh, words of wisdom and a little bit of a pointer. Um, and Jackie from YouTube just said, oh, wow, that really pulled me in. And I we're coming on to this in a minute in the genius room. And I think it did pull people in, actually. Um, now... Lex said, oh, yeah, no, that's, he's still talking about the, lots of th thoughts about the blurb, actually. Let's just move on already. So you've split people a little bit. Pamela Jo says, bored already. Sorry, this is like a Mammy Facebook blog. Hmm, interesting. Um, Hannah says, writing's good. Uh, don't tell me beforehand, though, or I might even get as far as to read it before finding out. L.A. Thomas says, 
I'm hooked. Um, and he's quite engaging so far, but could be cut down on some of the telling. Vagabond, do people leave three-year-olds at birthday parties on their own now? I don't know. It's a good question, actually. Um, they used to. I don't know if they still do. LA says, lost me again when Tommy was found. Hope there's another hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What is nominally pretty, says Hannah, and why do her looks matter in this last child scene? And Matt says, last place checked is always where something is found, isn't it? Yeah, because the search stops. Yes, of course, it is true. Um, and Matt says, uh, apparently says, Matt, you're, you're wise beyond your years. Uh, this felt a bit all over the place, says Annie by the end, but the writing itself is good. And Carol says, blurb, not really blurb, better for query letter. Still talking about the blurbs there. Um, behind her eyes creep me out says Carol a great suspense twist and Vagabond says I think it was the last line a bit too knowing and manipulative but great writing absolutely what did you think Dean yeah um, starting with the title I think that's much better I mean Crossway Bones I really really like that title I think that's quite original um as you said yes it's not not really a blur but but it did pique my interest you know i mean when when marcel said oh this is something that really happened to me and i managed to get run over my own my own car i was like well mm. yeah well, i want to be honest see what that's all about um I, I, I found there was a little bit of exposition there at the start but but the um the writing was good there's a lot of fun with the kids party and things like that um I do agree with somebody who was saying that there was a little bit like a sort of, you know, Mammy's Facebook group. Yeah, I get that. But we did get the inciting incident with um, little Tommy, little Tommy Pascoe, was it, who disappeared? Yes. So we, we had that, we had that exciting incident. Yes. Um, yeah, it kind of got wrapped up a little bit quick. But to me, I, I mean, I know others did, did did have an issue with it, but I really liked the, the last line. I, I thought that was a good hook for the, for the, for the opening that mm. I had to die. That really left me thinking. Well, hmm. yeah, <laughs> that, that 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 made me want to read on and actually find out what this is all about. Yes, yes, okay. So you uh, let's see. You haven't actually given given it marks on my will in a moment. Uh, did you want to read on, Nick? Um, uh, yeah, I, I thought that the ending um, uh, was actually one of the more redeeming um, uh, things about it. It kind of go okay, you know. Um, we're going to go from, you know, the, the, the kids' party and, and the hell of the kids' party, you know, to mm-hmm. something, you know, altogether much darker. Um, uh, I like the title, I, I, even though Crossroad is nine um, letters. Um, <laughs> oh, Spare is very good, though, isn't it? Kind of short and yeah. long, which looks bad. Crossroads Bones, I think, actually also is kind of more enigmatic, actually, than the Crossroads yeah, Bones. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, the blurb was really a pitch, um, which is fine. It's great to have a pitch, um, uh, you know, sort of for your for your book. Um, but you know, we missed out on all the good stuff about epigenetics, um, uh, yes. which was in the bio, and that really should have been in there because that that's mm. really fascinating. It I'm not is. quite sure how that would have worked, you know, with running yourself over with your own car, which sounds, uh-huh. I mean, obviously <laughs> painful and traumatic, but kind of comic as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think we could done with a bit more of a, a bit more of a steer the writing itself um uh, occasionally sort of i think sort of nudged towards being quite sort of nicely kaleidoscopic and impressionistic you know from someone you know with a with a really bad headache um i think there were a couple of failures of authorial imagination or vocabulary um uh, first paragraph weird pain behind my eyes you know come on i mean you've got a pain just don't just call it weird um uh, mm. it seems a bit of a pop out 
And then, you know, it was quite sort of, and then, you know, and then I kept doing this and, you know, I didn't think, you know, uh, he's all I have. I'm a single mother. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. That doesn't, you know, who would say that? Who, yes. who, who honestly wouldn't say that? You wouldn't say that. Um, so, I mean, what I thought was quite ambitious, and I, I like the line nominally pretty. I, I thought, you know, that, I mean, th this woman hates everyone at this party. Yeah. You, know, she's, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's first person narrator um, and she's really unlikable. Yes. Um, uh, and that can be really interesting. Yeah. That can be exciting, particularly yeah. if you're really going to punish this person and perhaps through the punishment and being, you know, that I will die, I'm in incredible pain, I'll be in hospital, yeah. et cetera, et cetera you find out something actually quite sort of redeeming, you know, um, uh, about them. So, you know, there could be a nice journey um, there, you know, but on the sort of the basis of what I've seen so far and about how that first, you know, sort of opening scene was put together, I'm, I'm not sure that the rest of the book would live up to what I think it, you know, mm. it has the potential to be. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to judge the words and, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, so Jeannie, uh, I are... Uh focusing like crazy actually carol's got quite a long, long comment which um if it just your word genii please if you are going to write something more than a sentence or two just uh, chop into two separate messages because otherwise as you can see the type shrinks to ridiculously small proportions and people can't read it um but i'll read carol's uh, start with the line you couldn't take eyes off them for a second or maybe my five-year-old son overruled me then include paragraph two details so she's doing an edit here for you actually and make sentence fragments <laughs> rush and trip over each other so it can feel chaos end paragraph one with and now little tommy pascal had vanished all right well there you go thank you very much for the edit there carol carol continues narrator's tone remissing child and his mother was off-putting her attitude distracted from tension and suspense and scene and jackie from youtube really likes the voice of it all and i think there is a voice there too and we do have a narrator as Nick says, who is not very likable, but I think quite, uh, quite, quite compelling in, in its own way. So I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Uh, let's look at the numbers. We've got a 56. Being very realistic today, but so far you're in, in the lead after two submissions. I'll tell you what, let's have another one. Here we are, submission number three. It comes from CE. CE, I think we're going to find out your name in a moment, actually. See, it's fantasy. It's called Jezebelia. Jezebelia, the city, colon. Yeah, titles with colons, eh? Well, let's ask Nick about those in a minute, shall we? See if he likes them. I don't think he will, because it takes up a whole sort of space of a letter, doesn't it? But he might do. Who knows? This is um, CE's blurb. The plot takes place after the city has been overthrown by the army and the noble families who killed the king and the queen. Oh, dear. This is the next Harry book, I wonder. Um, you get to follow different gangs and people around town as they try to survive while also fighting for what they think are a better city. Are a better city? Well, I'm thrown by that. Most gang and people have a different view on what this means. And this isn't English. Oh, come on. Come on. This leads to different conflicts around town as most people are fighting for themselves and the ones close to them. Okay. So let me tell you about you, Cara. It's Cara. My name is Cara, you say Cara. I'm a literature enthusiast living in Sweden. Oh, I see. Working on my master's degree in literature. Good. This book is one I've been writing on and off for three years while I've been working and studying. I'm always very thorough in everything I do. Good. Good. It's nice to meet a punctilious author. Uh, but even more so when it comes to my writing, especially the book. 
Okay. Uh, I want to write something I can stand behind and be proud of. And to be frank, I care more about my own opinion than anyone else's. Right. Well, I think most people do, actually. But it's very forthright of you to, uh, to say that. And uh, you're an author by it. And some may like my book and some may not. What really matters is that I'm happy with what I have made. Well, again, I, I guess that's true to, for many writers, actually, but it's a bit, bit on the nose, isn't it? Um, the process has been long and demanding, and there have been moments when I wanted to give up. That's true of so many writers, especially since I decided to make a trilogy out of this concept. Oh, so it's the first part of three, is it? Jolly good. Well, we're going to give it the very best possible launch we can from Jeff. Jizabelia, The Sissy, by Kara, read by Jeff. Year, 2374, March the 14th, 11.04. Where are you going? Zoom looked up towards the tree branches, meeting a pair of green eyes, and sighed. He had spoken with Mirtha, who had given him permission to leave, and he had hoped to be able to do so without being noticed by the others. But apparently, he wasn't that lucky. Out! His voice was cold, almost hostile, informing Vincent he had no desire to speak with him. Yet the other man soon landed on the ground next to him. I can see that, the taller man gave him a soft smile, one Zemin didn't respond to. What I am wondering is where to, and do you long for some company? Where I'm going is none of your damned business, and I do not wish for your company, he snapped. Another one was taken by it for a second, almost staggered, before he gave him another smile. I forgot. It's the 14th. I'm sorry for asking. No, I'm sorry for snapping. It's not your fault. Zoe managed to force himself to smile. I'm just worried. Like every year, you're a good brother, Zemin. Vincent clearly tried to lift his spirits, something that didn't work. Not good enough to prevent him from... He stopped himself, sighing. Sometimes it was more than tempting to tell his friends about his brother, but he had promised not to. Never mind, I, ne I need to go. Take care out there and come home safely. Don't worry, Vincent. I can handle some low-life scum, he answered as he continued walking away from the park, waving his hand in goodbye. It's not the low-life scums I'm worried about, Vincent muttered to himself before climbing the tree once more. Shuair was resting lazily on a somewhat whole rooftop, waiting for Zemin to arrive. Proud he wasn't late this time. This did not mean that Zemin was late. He rarely was, being the responsible one out of the two. But Shuair had wished to be on time today, seeing how important it was. Therefore, he had finished his work early before he assured himself that his gang didn't need his attention. They had all been occupied with their own agenda when he left, and in all honesty he wasn't even sure what all of them did. He never pushed for answers, only declaring that they could stop if they ever saw it fit. He was aware that most of them did things that could be considered bad, but who in this fucked up town didn't? It was almost impossible to get by without doing something bad if you wanted to stay alive. It was rather a question of how far one wanted to go. He had decided to offer the ones in his district protection against whatever or whoever they may require. Sometimes it forced him to act in questionable ways, 
but he was prepared to do whatever was necessary to protect the ones in his territory. They were his people, after all. Yet there was a difference between his offer and other gangs. He knew that people like Jameson forced others to accept his protection if they wished to live. Swear could never do anything like that. If they didn't want his help, he'd look the other way if they needed it later on. Alyssa said it was cold-hearted, but he couldn't help everyone. He had offered them his help and protection. If they turned it down, he couldn't do much about it afterwards. Boo! Zwer had only heard a sound seconds before Zenin jumped him. He pressed him against the roof, leaving Zwer to break free without any success, as always. You always win, Zwer grinned at his brother without a trace of unhappiness. He knew that the old one would always be stronger than him. I do! Zerin teasingly laughed before hugging him, both being happy to see the other one. They saw each other as frequently as they could, and despite the fact it had only been a few days since Zua last saw Zemin, he missed him, always did, since the day they stopped living together. Thank you so much, Jeff. <clears throat> you gave it uh, everything you've got, which is uh, the least we expect from you, actually. Uh, Jeff, one of our wonderful team of narrators, headed by Emily. Um, and we've got some great narrations coming up still. I want to ask Dean what he thought of the title. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, sounds a little bit rude. Well, that's what I was thinking, too. I was wondering if you've got the same degree of vulgar mind that I've got. Clearly yeah. you have. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think it, yeah, it might incite sniggers in um, certain, yeah. you know, a certain type of person, a certain type of juvenile person. Well, it's not just that. It's the genius room as well. Vagabond says that title uh, makes me giggle. And L.A. Thomas says, I don't like the title for reasons I don't want to put here. But it, it's true, actually, uh, Cara. You have chosen a title that's got vulgar overtones, so you def I think you want to change that, to be honest. Go on, Dean. Yeah, so uh, moving on to the blurb. Um, there, was obviously, there was some grammar issues there, and I, I'm not sure. I mean, was, is, it, is, is it Cara, the author? Yeah, Cara, yeah. Um, and I think it was, was she Swedish? Yes. I well, she's a literature yeah. enthusiast living in Sweden, but my suspicion living is that Sweden, she is sorry, a, yeah. she's a natural Swede, I think. So I'm assuming, yeah. So I don't know whether English is her first language, but there was, mm. there was issues with grammar in the blurb. And to be honest, that's the first thing that yeah. an agent or a publisher is going to read. It's a first impression. And if you, if you can't, you know, if you've got a sloppy blurb, they're not going to read on, you know. The blurb, it should be, you should check it and check it and check it again. And, and those first pages that you're going to send out to, to solicit to the agents and publishers, they should be perfect and they should be checked again and again and proofread again and again. Mm. And, and you, nobody's going to read past that blurb if it's not, if it's, if it's, if it's basically oh. illegible, to be honest. And, and there was a bit of attitude in there as well, I thought. I mean, she had this kind of thing of, oh, well, you know, I like it. So it doesn't matter if anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, moving on from that, um, I mean, I'm sorry to say, I, I just found the whole t the whole thing a bit confusing. I didn't really know what was going on. Mm. Um, I weren't really sure who the characters were. I weren't really sure who the the protagonist was. Um, 
I, and what was going on at all, really, yeah. I, to be honest. I, I mean, I may have tuned out a little bit, I'm afraid to say. Um, you, no, but, I, th- I don't yeah. think you're the only one, actually, going by, again, uh, Gina's room. Uh, Vagamon says, I won't remember any of this, sorry, but nothing grabbed me. Uh, Carol says, not sure where the story's going, uh, who characters are. Uh, Matt, Matt says, interesting realisation on the timestamps. They're completely forgettable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and L.A. Thomas says, can we have some story, please? Oh, dear. Yes. Not getting an awful lot of positive reactions here. Um, I hesitate to ask Nick because I always know he tells it like it is. What did you think, Nick? I wouldn't have got past the title. No, no. Um, if that came in. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's a nonsense word with, you know, unfortunate overtones. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't sound nice. No. Um, uh, and then, you know, a colon, the city, doesn't tell you any more um, uh, <clears throat> after that. Really. Um, yeah. uh, and the blurb, you know, yes, you know, like if the blurb doesn't make sense, um, mm. it's very bad news because that's the thing you should go over again and yeah. again and again. It's like, you know, having a first sentence that doesn't make any sense. Um, so if, if Kara is, I'm sorry, let me just ask you, Nick, if, if Kara is <clears throat> um, um, writing a second language, in other words, if Swedish is her first language, which is what a lot of us uh, suspect, what's, what's your best advice? Well, I, I think, you know, looking at the other sentences, which are, you know, sort of um, have been assembled into, you know, the first chapter, um, uh, so Kara's English is actually is, is really pretty good. You know, there's okay. the occasional sort of um, occasional mistake. But I mean, I think that in the blurb, um, uh, it was probably just carelessness because it simply doesn't make mm. sense. You know, you, you can't easily parse that and say, oh, I, I see what you mean. You know, mm. low-life scums, you know, making a plural of, um, of, of scum is a little bit odd. You know, it could do it effect, but you under- yeah. we all understand what it means. Um, but uh, the, the blurb made, made no sense. And I was really annoyed by the bio. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, sure, you can write for yourself, but you know, if you're coming on a show and you know you want your book to go out, yeah, well, so. you got to think of your audience. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, because uh, you know you're telling them a story. You are gifting something to them. You are performing, um, and you've got to remember that um, yeah. it's not just for you. If it is just for you, and a lot of people get a lot of solace out of writing, um, you know, but you know, you don't need to inflict it on anyone else. That's right, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, quite right. Johnny says, um, uh, where's it? He, Johnny says, title sounded like a Ken Russell movie. He says, just saying. It does a bit. Yes, it does. Oh, my goodness gracious. Right, so uh, let's look at the numbers. I don't think they're going to be very good. I'm sorry, Cara. But there we go. It's done with love. We're not being nasty. We're just, we're trying to help and support you out there. But uh, that's honestly, the- oh, there we go. One more is coming, 36. So it wasn't 35. You got a 36. I want to um, ask Nicholas um, another question, actually. Unrelated, but uh, Nicholas is, is, is renowned, actually, in the publishing world uh, for being one of the most progressive um, people as far as technology is concerned, e-books and so on. It's, it's all there, their history. In fact, yeah, I've got, I've got a little bio I can put up instead of that actually yeah that can tell everybody about um about you and about head of Zeus if they don't already know they can read that while we're talking um let me just ask you about chat GPT this yep. thing that everyone's been worried like heck about for the past um past week or two um is it going to make writers redundant um uh, no it won't I mean all of these things are just tools to be used um uh, I mean, interestingly, um, uh, 
there's a huge amount of progress has been made um, uh, on uh, uh, AI that generates art. Yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, how on earth can you do that? And you can write in a prompt. You can say, "Give me, you know, an alien, a spaceship landing on an alien planet, you know, with a small herd of uh, um, triceratopses looking on," and nice. you know, in the style of you know. Um, uh, uh, I don't know, Degas or something, and the computer will go away and will make it. Mm. Um, and that's great. That's absolutely fantastic. But, you know, you've actually got to know how to use it and know what you want. And so, you know, mm. we're seeing artists using tools like that, you know, to kind of spark something and to take it, you know, sort of further. In much the same way, everyone's up in arms about it, absolutely mm. up in arms, in the same way that they're all up in arms about Photoshop, you know, sort of 30 years ago. Yes. Um, that's right. And so, yes, yeah. this will change the way in which, you know, people might write and you might assemble materials and things like that. Um, uh, but fundamentally, you know, writers will be able to use it, I think, you know, to, to, to further their art. Mm, interesting. So um, if, uh, the, if there were a way, because um, um, the thing I've got, I mean, I think it's all hype, to be honest. I think, you know, that, that it's going to be one of the biggest IPOs in history, blah, blah, blah. And I just think, you know, the hype machine has gone into overdrive as it has about so many things recently. So I'm a bit suspicious of it. And, you know, the writing that I've seen, it doesn't have any voice, really. It's all, at least it's got the same voice. But if there were a way um, for publishers to, to press the magic button and get 80,000 words of you know, genre fiction, um, would they do it? Do you think, or what do they want? Do you want? Do they want to do it the old-fashioned way with difficult authors who deliver their manuscripts late? Uh, well, I'd always want the I'd always want the author because the author adds that something extra um, uh, to it. And you know, with the AIs, the thing is that you could perhaps get something very very polished, but it would all sound exactly the same yeah. because it's all been trained, you know, on, on the same sort of data sets. Yeah, and yeah, so you'd be able to tell basically what the prompts the publisher might have put in to generate the the the, the text that comes out, yeah. and it's the unpredictability of you know of human sensibility and genius that that adds that extra you know bit of salt that makes you know what you're producing special. I think the value to publishers actually um, uh, and uh, and the likes is is perhaps you know rather the other way round actually of having AI basically check through the billions of submissions that are out there, you know, mm. to see if it can recognize, um, you know, sort of uh, decent writing or things that need to mm. have, you know, an editorial eye, you know, sort of placed on them. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. There we go. There we go, authors. You're not going to be made redundant, at least not as far as Head of Zeus is concerned. <laughs> Submission number four today. It's called Gulliver's Four New Voyages. It's from Guy's Literary Satire. Uh, let me give you Guy's blurb. This is going to be very challenging for me. <laughs> I had a quick look at it. I've tried, I've tried to practice in pronunciation of some of these, but oh well, you know me. I sort of, the fool's rush in, and that's, that's me all through. Uh, 18th century Gulliver writing elegant Augustan prose. Augustan prose. My information says that sort of satire, sometimes called Georgian, maybe, uh, collides with the 21st century. He visits Kilia Sticker, Obversia, Ipsiloia, <laughs> no, I'm falling down already, and the city of Schrodinger and St. Helena. Oh, that's the last time I could pronounce. He encounters the enclosure of common sense. 
the festival of the catastrophe, the island of the poor, the obversion of nature, the principle of transcendence, oh, I'm coming lost now, and being at once the thing which is and the thing which is not. All right, pretty words, but what is the meaning? Like Swift's original, the work's appeal is satirical, historical, philosophical, and literary. Well, that's a lot of appeals, isn't it? Uh, let me tell everybody about you, Guy. I'm a 63-year-old retired French and Italian teacher. I've not previously published any fiction, but since retiring, I've succeeded in having around 50 journalistic articles, journalistic articles, and opinion pieces published in publications such as the New English Review, Tacky's Magazine, The Brazen Head, and British Intelligence. I'm not fully with that. I've also had poetry and translations published in the New English Review, The Brazen Head, and the Literary Journal of Columbia University, New York. Well, that all sounds very erudite, doesn't it? In that case, we've got a, a reading to match from Martin. Four New Voyages of Lemuel Gulliver by Guy, read by Martin. Travels into several remote nations of the world by Captain Lemuel Gulliver. Part four, a voyage to Kilistikia. Four days from quitting Captain Pocock at Tenerife and a hundred leagues northwest of the Cabo Verde Islands, my ship's company discovered that several of our set freshwater barrels were leaking and that an urgent need for new provision in this respect pressed on us, lest we be in some distress for water. Amongst my men was a Scotsman by the name of McCrory. He made it known to me that he had once been taken prisoner near to Antigua and obliged to serve for two years on board a man of war from the island nation of Kilistica, which he believed nearest opposition. On the sixth day, a boy on the top mast discovered land and signs of humanity. A large and a much smaller island were described together with a third island to the east, composed entirely of a volcano. The wind being northerly and approaching from the northeast, we ran southwest half a league off the north, long northwest shore of the island. McCrory agreed that this was indeed sticker. By the use of a perspective glass telescope I had purchased in Woolwich, I could see that the main island rose high out of the sea and was well cultivated. Beeves, oxen, and sheep grazed in well-ordered pastures enclosed with good fencing and windmills were plentiful. Smoke rose from many habitations. On the opposed side of the island to ourselves, I was able to distinguish the small volcanic island with a little smoke issuing from it. My curiosity was roused by the long wide strand that ran on our side from the northern tip of the larger island diagonally to its western extreme. Beginning at the tip were considerable piles of darkened wood in heaps. After each heap another every one in a gradation of lesser states of dilapidation than the last, which signified, as we progressed southwest along the shore, it was as though the true original form of the heaps disclosed itself to us. It soon became clear that they were once finely crafted vessels set on towering trestles which had collapsed with age. 
The southwesterly examples were intact and made of new wood, planked, ship carpentered and corked with competence. They were very broad of beam and stoutly built with a deep draught. The superstructure consisted of a wide long house and with a low roof and a dovecot in the prow, giving the vessels the appearance of nothing so much as Noah's Ark. Genesis 6-9 I espied a new set of trestles with no ship resting on it, which completed the procession at its southwestern end. Ahead of us began to rise the small island situated just north of the larger island's western tip and divided by, from it by a strait. By my computation of one third of a league in width, on the main island the procession of arcs was succeeded by the opening of a large harbour. The first half of this was devoted to a miscellany of basins, docks and dry docks, taken together forming a dockyard as impressive as that of Venice or of Chatham or Portsmouth. Derricks and cranes were in abundance as were many mastered merchantmen and men of war tied up on the docksides. This array was again succeeded by the habitations of a town. McCrory confirmed to me that this metropolis was the capital town of Kilia Sticker. By means of my perspective glass, I was able to discern that these habitations gave evidence of prosperity in the quality of their decoration and maintenance. The roofs were in excellent repair. The windows were plentiful and filled with glass and stone lintels richly carved. Public statues, fountains and flowers abounded. I was under perplexity of mind from the seeming absence of any token of human presence or activity. Another mystery I was at a loss to understand was a constellation of sparkling lights that danced constantly about the town, even in places where there were no windows. The lights danced as sunlight does on the sea in summer. Jolly good, Martin. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I love your uh, reading. And um, again, I could just listen to you read all day. But let's see what the genius room is saying. And uh, Matt, I think, said that the blurb could do with being put through chat GPT. I don't think that's a good sign. <laughs> Actually, I don't think that's a good sign at all. L.A. Thomas says, what's going on with all capital letters? While well, it's kind of pastiche, isn't it, really? That's the thing. Uh, ideas interesting, says Matt. And I think it's interesting, too. And I was hoping for some biting satire, actually. You know, I mean, there's lots to... I know it's much material like that. Imagine Stuart Lee uh, doing... Um, He's the most acerbic writer I know at the moment. Imagine him getting his, his teeth stuck into a modern Gulliver. That's what I was hoping for. Um, L.A. Thomas says, so this is a journal. Uh, Pamela says, McCrory is more likely to be Irish. Okay. E.G. E. Logan says, wow, footnotes. And James says, oh, no, footnotes. Um, and he says, I think I'm not the right reader for this. James says, is this nonfiction? Um, Carol says, does, why does it start with part four? Well, Star Wars does, doesn't it? Or something like, similar like that. Uh, Vagabond makes a good point, I think. Uh, we tend not to read Gulliver now because of the language. Can you make it transferable to today's reader? And Annie continues, says, I think there's a niche out there of people who might like it, though. And Hannah says, the journal entry had better be brief or I won't stay focused for long. Claire says, motion. L.A. Thomas says, I'm bored, sorry. 
And yeah, Pounder says it's not going to work unless it's reinterpreted in modern vernacular as suggested in the blurb. And Joan says, if this is fiction, I'm not getting the emotion, story or action. And Matt uh, makes a very good point. He says, trying to mimic 200 plus year old writing style doesn't really work in modern context. Let's see what Nick thinks. Um, well, I mean, some of my favorite books actually have kind of been pastiches of um, uh, kind of wonderful sort of rambling um, uh, uh, narratives from uh, from centuries gone before. Mm. Um, but, you know, and I love them, you know, when they put the footnotes in, that's a lot of fun. I mean, come on, you can have a lot of fun with footnotes. Um, yeah, I think Pratchett uh, did, actually. Yeah. It, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, but anyway, here, my overriding question was why? Mm. Why? Why? You know, what are we? What are we getting here? You know, why are we adding? You know, sort of more, um, more, 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 more voyages. You know, the lexical um, exuberance of the blurb, you know, simply wasn't matched. You know, isn't matched by the title. Um, lots of sound and fury, and actually, it's all adding up to nothing. Um, you know, the uh, archaic capitalization and occasional misspelling. Um, mm. It doesn't feel extremely convincing to me, unless this massively you know there's a real kind of jarring scene change just coming up or voice change or something um uh, yeah i mean i i would just run out of, i would run out of steam um yeah. uh, of waiting through this mm. um thank you very much pc frontier got uh, a new genie it seems to me um says pc the writer's trying to write in partly old english style it's not exactly old english actually it's sort of georgian isn't it which is difficult to do good on him to try but a bit of a tame start though i would like to see a bit more action um and eg logan make, makes a very good point actually about footnotes footnotes do not work on a kindle ever yeah and that's absolutely right what do you think dean yeah, I'm, I'm similar. I mean, I was really looking forward to it. I mean, it, it really excited me, the idea of, of, a, of a, a, you know, I love satire anyway, and, you mm. know, a, a modern take on Gulliver was what I thought I was getting. Um, but we, again, we, we, we didn't really, in the, certainly in this piece anyway, we didn't see any satire. Well, I yeah. hardly, you know, it wasn't particularly funny. Um, yeah, and, and Nick was saying about the footnotes. I mean, I agree, I, I normally enjoy a footnote and that they can be used to great effect like um with steve coogan um i read, read one of his, his alan partridge books you know and he's, yeah. he uses footnotes brilliantly and that's hilarious <laughs> but these there was no point in that the footnotes he wasn't adding anything that was just distracting you know yeah. there, there wasn't really adding any, any value um and, and again you know it, where is this going what are we getting that's different um you know it, and as others have said, there might be a niche for it, maybe, but writing in that old-fashioned way, you know, if you were, if, if you were to write today, uh, as some of the classics are even written, most yeah. people would just switch off. It's a completely different audience now. People want, you know, things to be much more concise. They want something happening on the first page. And, um, yeah, we didn't really get that here, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think Swift in, in, in his day, I don't think he wrote in an archaic style at all, actually. I mean, written a no, it would have been modern then, but it's yeah. years ago, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, that's right. Yeah, and you know, um, very, very sort of yeah, sar sarcastic, satirical. I mean, you know, the modest proposal: uh, the poor should sell their uh, the children to the rich to eat. I mean, so this is sort of modern upstate, you know, biting satire, and that's 
that's perhaps the way it should have been approached. But anyway, a little bit disappointing. Let's look at the numbers. 47. you got a 47 guy. You've also got lots and lots of good comments from Junior And again, I do suggest you freeze frame and pour over that. Sentiment analysis tool. That's what we're doing here. Should we have a look at the scorecards? One more submission to go. One more submission to go. Not a very high-scoring show today, but we actually do have two joint leaders so far. Uh, and that's Paul and that's Marcel. But we have one more submission, submission number five, who might possibly pip them all at the post. Let's see. This is from Stephen. Stephen Jackson. I don't think it's Steve Jackson. Very famous games name, Steve Jackson. Um, who knows? We'll find out in a moment. It's QR code there. Website. Young Adult Fantasy. Thank you. Always like that. It's called The Shrouded Throne. And this is Stephen's blurb. An ageing politician and a trainee mage form an unlikely alliance when they both fall victim to the machinations of shadowy politicians with even darker intentions. Oh, so it's the Tory party. Branding mages as witches, the goal of these unseen puppeteers is to ignite a spark that will consume the city of Asterheim and hand them the power of a long-abandoned throne. Together, the defiant power are thrown into a deadly game. Can they save the city's mages from the rise of a man whose ambitions could destroy them all? Is that the return of Boris Johnson? I wonder. I don't know. Um, let me tell you about Stephen. My first novel was published in 2009 by a small publisher which sadly had to close. I'm sorry to hear that. Was it occasioned by your uh, publication, I wonder? <laughs> That's never a good uh, sign. Um, after that, I self-published some others and used short horror stories to promote them. You can find them at sdjackson.blogspot.com, which is probably that QR code you've just seen. Those stories were well-received. Uh, they were featured on podcasts, published in online journals, and being performed on YouTube channels. This is my first try at fantasy after a three- or four-year hiatus, uh, writes the blog and I'd like to turn it into a series. If a publisher was interested, we might give you an indication a few moments after this reading by Ali. The Shrouded Throne by Stephen, read by Alison. Chapter 1. Sprawled and lifeless, the limp form lay, prone in the dark, secrets veiled in shadow. Here he is, sir, said the young watchman in a hushed, conspiratorial voice, holding the torch up. The flickering flames cast feeble light on the body, half hidden in the muddy filth of the dark alley. The watchman stepped nimbly aside, muttering a short curse as his feet splashed in something unpleasant, making way for the heavy-set man with the scarred jaw. Crouching in his golden priest's robe among the rank puddles, the scarred man poked at the body with one gnarled finger, ignoring the stench rising from the still-warm corpse. The scarred man wrinkled his nose. It's impossible to tell how much of the smell was the natural odour of the body, and how much the general filth of the narrow alleyway. Moonlight and the glow of the watchman's torch glinted on pools of unknown foulness not far away. No puncture wounds? he asked eventually, glancing suspiciously up at the watchman. The young man shook his head earnestly, his eyes wide and hopeful, full of the thrill of the crime. The older man, who called himself a priest, held the youngster's gaze a moment longer, and then looked back at the body. And you're sure this one had a disagreement with one of them? he asked, addressing the third conspirator. 
The thin man with the grey hair standing behind them sniffed, a meek sound that made the priest's lip curl instinctively. I am. I checked the logs twice. He paid for a service, but not all that was agreed. Twice? The accountant bristled. I'm sure, he said tightly, I'm exceptionally familiar with those logs. The priest grunted something between a scornful laugh and a long-suffering sigh. He turned from the cooling body and gave the man a hard glare. You had better not be wrong this time, Rodomantade. I'm not, the accountant sniffed. The priest fished inside his moth-eaten gold-coloured robe, and, with his eyes still on the accountant, handed a pouch to the watchman. The young man took it with fevered excitement, clinked with a promise of gold. Go now, my son, said the scarred priest in a pious tone, though he had never held any holy office. The watchman hefted the pouch and grinned, hurrying away. The shadows danced madly, reaching up to claim the priest and the body as the young man carried the torch in its flickering circle of light further from them. Remember, no more than half an hour, the priest called after him. The watchman half turned and nodded, his eyes still on the bulging pouch in his hands, more gold than he'd seen in a lifetime. Yes, sir, an hour, sir, I'll be sure of it. Do. I can retake those coins if I choose. The watchman looked about to retort, but something in the priest's eyes, dark and glinting in the moonlight beyond the reach of his torch, gave him pause. Uh, yes, sir, he said, hurrying away. You should go too, the scarred priest said, turning back to the body in the still darkness. The accountant sniffed and hesitated. You'll be paid when I have three. Find me one more. He waited until the sound of the thin man's footsteps receded down the alleyway and was lost in the stillness of the night, before he pulled out the flask and carefully tipped the contents onto the corpse, standing back as foul mist instantly began to rise from the cadaver. He looked away as the flesh was charred and blackened, grateful for the thick shadow. Burned without flame, the priest said with reverence. He crouched beside the steaming body, and leaned towards the seared holes that had been its ears. Thank you, he whispered. And thank you, fabulous Ali. Always love that. Let's uh, cut straight to the uh, genie eye. Uh, Matt says, a blurb! An actual blurb! <laughs> That's a little, little hysterical, actually. Uh, and he says, blurb's almost there. Needs to tell us more about the characters. LA, uh, tell us their names. Pamela, promising blurb. Like the active language, non-cliche choice of words. Um, Lex, love! Love the title. Blurb could use touching up, but has, has political intrigue and fantastic ideas. Let's go! So... You've got a lot of keen, you know, absolutely open behind you, really, because people want you to succeed, actually. You know, publishing is all about rejection, as far as many authors are concerned. But actually, we do want to find, we want to find time. Um, you know, we are rooting for you. PC Frontier, I did not know what a mage was. Just had to look up the word. Uh, Johnny, um, no, sorry. Rethink that first line, says Annie. A bit clunky. Good prose. Uh, Carol, nice start. Intriguing action. And a few unnecessary adverbs, but I like the writing. Annie, getting prologue vibes. Claire, start with intrigue, action and dialogue. Tick, tick, tick. Eva, like the title. I think it's too magnificent to this kind of, magnificent to this kind of story. Don't understand. Explain that to me, please, Eva. And Vagabond, sa Vagabond says, it's pretty good. I'm interested for now. Um, 
Hannah makes a good point. YA need to invest in character immediately. We need a name and some, someone obviously is 16 to 20 years old. Just starts well, says James. And Matt says, great reading. Totally. I absolutely agree with that. I'd like to get Nick's first reactions. Um, the more time I spent with this, the more I liked it. Okay. Um, I think that um, uh, I think the title's okay. Um, uh, I think that the blurb it was a little bit unimpressive. I think that, that it's difficult um, to do blurbs, particularly if you're the author. Um, uh, and my only advice would be to basically to pick out one or two really salty details, a nice bit of specificity, but very mm. simple that someone can on to, something that makes you know it sound a little bit unique. And then, to, you know, you can be quite generic with, uh, w with the rest. Um, and then we got onto the text, which actually, as it went on, I thought it, I thought it got better and better. Um, I mean, yes, there's some editing that I'd like to do on it, but, you know, there are some things you listen to and you think there's no way you can edit this, you know, because, you know, there's, there's nothing really to base the edit on. I think there were some good foundations here. I think that the most things that actually editors can offer actually is very simple is where you cut, what you yeah. cut out. Yeah. Um, and then what you perhaps, you know, slightly, slightly reinforce. So right. some very obvious cuts here. Um, but I thought they ended, you know, with the burned without flame, he said mm. reverently. Thank mm. you. I thought that was a brilliant ending. Mm. You know, mm. it kind of, you know, asked lots of questions. It's good dialogue. It was action sort of through, you know, it was, you know, exciting those things through what they were saying. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm, I was, I, I think that that was the, the, the best of the evening. Um, Cautious and optimistic on that, and that's very good. Let's see what the GDM is um, saying. One so, question sorry, go on. I would have, yep. is this really YA? Yeah. I couldn't see anything here that, that, that signified this as, as, being, yeah. as, as being YA. And if anything, you know, my advice would be let's push this a little bit more. You've got lots of disgusting details and things going on. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, things like that stench, you know, it was the body or was it the alley? You know, it seemed to be both. I'd much prefer it was a stinking body, you know, this, this yes. newly, you know, like, and then why is that? You know, let's really get into it. Nice. Um, but, yeah, good. I enjoyed that. Fantastic. Let's see what the genie are doing. And he says those last lines were interesting. Just what uh, next time? Creepy ending, says Carol Menacing. It's got something, says E.G. Logan. Good cliffhanger chapter ending. Very competent, says uh, Vagabond. Your opening has the right ingredients, says Annie, but it uh, can be half as long. PC Frontier, I like the opening. Always good start with a corpse. Hmm, I think Nick agrees with that. I, I felt some of the tension was lost as the story moved on. I had a description text at the end. And uh, L.A. says, agree, Carol. As special as I thought, the scarred man and the priest were two different characters. So, Dean, did this float your boat? Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree with Nick. Really, it's, it's certainly um, certainly my favourite piece of the evening, um, and I was I was pleasantly surprised. You know, again, the title pretty good, the blurb was okay, um, but when we actually got into the actual piece itself, I, I was pleasantly surprised. And, and, and again, you know, I found myself enjoying it more as it went on, um, loving some of those little details in there, some of that that sort of imagery, the gutter imagery of like yeah, the steaming body and the stench and all that. Some of that was really great. Um, yeah, I, did, I really enjoyed it. The only thing I would say, I mean, I, I, we can only judge it on its merits and the piece that, you know, nature of the show, we've only got a few minutes and we've got the 800 words that we've read. I'm not sure at this stage whether it would hold my attention for a whole novel, yeah. um, but you've got me so far and I would continue Good. to read on. So all right. that's all we can ask for. Really. That's all you can ask for, absolutely. It's reflected in your marking. Let's look at the numbers here. Angus Ross, you got a 67. 
You got a 67. And unless I'm wrong, I think that puts you at the top. Let's go. It does. You've just done. Well, you've done it actually quite uh, substantially, in fact. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I was thinking it was 66. It's 56 or two uh, seconds. So it's actually you're way up there, Stephen. You should be very pleased with yourself because you are. <laughs> realistic show no one lavishing the numbers around but that's okay we, we exist in the, in the real world not in some fantasy wishful film world well as real as publishing ever can get actually um yeah absolutely so congratulations um Stephen. well done and i'm going to say thank you very much thank you nicholas for being with us today taking a bit of time on your sunday well-earned rest and here you are talking to aspiring authors all over the world very much appreciate it it's always fantastic to have you on have your wit your wisdom your direct experience of the ever-changing publishing business now do you ever yearn for the days when nothing much changed and the most radical thing ever to happen in our business was a paperback book when were those days oh well, that was 1950s <laughs> that was last century here we are on the on the bleeding edge of god knows what but if anyone knows what's going to happen, it's Nick. And thank you so much for joining us too, Dean. I think a fantastic panel today. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope everyone's enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us same time next week. Hit it! All you met with suits and ties Just sitting in the crowd smoking big cigars I hope you're ready for what's coming now I'm the one, I'm the lady, go bring it down Ready, ready, ready.